This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode. We're going to talk about some of the great lake rocks that are there that are known as glowing rocks. There's a new article out on that. We're also going to talk about some exciting fossils, primarily a really huge discovery of a cave full of over 40 sharks, and it's in the middle of the United States of America. Um, Also, we'll talk about some human interest stories, and we're going to go into a keynote address on zoisite, which I find very interesting. I hope you will find it interesting as well. Before we get into it, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and supporting um, our podcast, for supporting our YouTube videos. We just reached over 100 subscribers. We just started that a few months back. Hasn't been going too too long, not as long as a podcast. And um, the thousands of members that we have on different social media as well. And um, you can get all of our links at our blog located at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com. Um, you can check us out on all the different um, formats. Also at Parlor, we're at hashtag Radical Rocks. So I'll put those in the description in case you forget. You can come check us out. So let's get right into it. We've got a whole variety of subjects. Um, there is a couple rock shows I thought I would give a little plug to. The Athens Rockhound Fall Rock and Gym Show at the Classic Center here is going to be held in um, the Black Mountains uh, is where the original person was here. Where is it? North Carolina. North Carolina. That's going to be this weekend. Um, the... Uh, yeah, this weekend. You can look that up at onlineathens.com. Under that title, article there is written by Wayne Ford if you want to check that out. Um, also, my computer is acting a little bit slow today. We've also got an article on non-diamond engagement rings I forgot to mention in the um, kind of the intro. That's going to be pretty interesting. We'll get into that in a few The next article is about Howard Jr. Bennett, human interest. Um, He passed away. The article's in the uh, Cadillac News. He was in um, Michigan. He was in Michigan. Um, He was an avid rock hounder. Um, He was also uh, earned a degree at the Eastern Michigan University in uh, chemistry and geology. Very active in his local... um, uh, area with rocks and minerals and you can read about that at the cadillacnews.com and he is now as we like to say rock hunting on the near those stre- streets of gold let's check out this article on non-diamond engagement rings i think you're going to find this kind of interesting this is at www.brides.com And it's called The Complete Guide to Non-Diamond Engagement Rings by Robin Raven. It was updated on the 14th, so I guess it's an article that was here before. Um, It goes in length about diamonds and how hard they are and how they wear really great. But other stones are gaining in popularity, especially for engagement rings. We've talked about the popularity of one, and we'll highlight that in a minute. But one that is the number one that's recommended here... um, is aquamarine, uh, which I think is maybe not the hardest stone for someone um, like like my wife that wears her ring all the time. Um, 
you know, you can crack those pretty easily. Um, they're not super, super hard. I think they're like uh, six or so on the hardness scale. But one of the stones that is quite a bit harder, and I would think would be a great, um, you know, secondary option, would be a sapphire. And sapphires come in all kinds of colors. There's, uh, you know, blue and uh, purple and primarily you think of blue and there's uh, yellow as well. Now there's other um, stones that are recommended as possible engagement rings. Emerald, that's another one's pretty brittle. Um, they chip pretty easy. I would be careful if you're going to pick that one, um, but it is one that is in the article here. And then rubies. Of course, rubies are very hard. Also nine on the hardness scale, just like the um, sapphires are. And then they have a uh, beautiful honey quartz and uh, this is uh, fast. These are all faceted stones so far in these um, examples of alternative engagement rings. This one's real beautiful, set in gold. Um, has a very, a very glowing, glowing look to it. Um, another one, they're going into aquamarine. I think aquamarine is a little bit brittle. I would be careful with that. There's an emerald cut green sapphire that's real beautiful. And also another alternative stone. Um, and then stones made up of different colors, uh, like an ocean ring with blues and uh, light blues and dark blues and greens. Again, these are sapphires, again, cut. Um, another round ruby. And then tanzanite is also one that is very popular because it could come in a deep, dark purple or dark violet and uh, is a special color that uh, is really loved. Now, that's not the super most hardest stone in the world, so that's another one you might want to be careful with. Garnets also, um, green garnets, yellow grind, uh, garnets, um, and green hues are ones that uh, do uh, can be a conversation piece. And uh, garnets are fairly hard, um, should be a pretty good wearing stone, I would think. And then one that's huge in popularity right now, morganite. Morganite also is kind of like a burl. It's not the hardest stone in the world, but if you have a nice round cut with a lot of protection there, you know, um, and you're not going to use it for your day-to-day, uh, -day, you know, banging around in the sink or things like that, um, I think it would be a good choice. You could choose any of these, actually, but if you're going to be wearing it, you know, to do duties and work and stuff like that, you better make sure you have a pretty hard, hard ring. Now, here's one that is not faceted. All the stones so far have been faceted, but this uh, this particular one is called the Yai Collection Jade and ruby globe ring and the actual ring itself has uh, small rubies inserted all the way around it and then the stone is a cabochon a beautiful oval white jade that just it was really neat the way it looks um it just looks kind of mystical you know i think this would and the gold prongs are are like big talons around it um four of them like small talons and it really just it looks you know the stone itself with the prongs looks so like an egyptian royalty would wear this you know um if not for the the rubies set all the way around the uh, ring so yeah jades were very hard it should wear very good and be a good choice so there's some non-diamond engagement ring options that are out there and gaining in popularity uh, another human interest is a tailgate rock swap uh, show set for october 17th this is in the uh, mariposa gym and mineral club at the mariposa uh, fairgrounds and um, i believe that was in 
Where was that? What state? I looked it up. Uh, you can find that in the MariposaGazette.com. And I think it was California. All right. Um, one more. Um, Fallbrook. Uh, gems and minerals attract visitors to Fallbrook. Both of these are this weekend. You can find this at uh, www.villagenews.com. This is a local group here in the San Diego County area, and their show is on the 11th. And this is a really good um, gym show as well that you can go to. And they've had pictures on the site and stuff. So check out your local gym and mineral show and support that. All right. Next, I want to get into uh, ad popped up here. The Spectacular Science of the Great Lakes Glowing Rock. Now, this is an article written by Jessica uh, Hester on October 13th at www.atlasobscura.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-O-B-S-C-U-R-A.com. And there's a beautiful picture of a rock that is glowing that is like a cobblestone and if you've listened to our uh, interviews we've interviewed Mr. Eric Rintemacki who is the discoverer of this uh, uh, interesting gemstone he was collecting the um, Great Lakes uh, agates that we are you know that are very very popular um, and he decided like boy they're hard to find you know maybe maybe they'll fluorescent and so he got a fluorescent light and in the process of this he discovered these glowing gemstones that uh, were new to the area undiscovered and they actually were he was able to name them uprolites which was a play on uh, kind of a local uh, a, a local thing they call the locals there upers and then lights for the stone because it lights and because that's a common um you know, trailing name to put on there. So he was credited with finding that. This story here talks about uh, the unassuming colors that they find before you put the fluorescent light on them and they start glowing. They can be gray, white, or pink, molded, freckled, black, um, just smooth rocks. They probably, you know, don't blow your mind in uh, any more than a hunk of granite um, because they are cousins to granite, but with a UV light in hand, um, then they glow and they are really, really beautiful. So these fluorescent uh, minerals are very interesting. Some of the activators that uh, make this glow is magnesium, could be um, in small traces, also calcite, fluorite, and other minerals can um, show uh, freckled green and different colors and calcite might look pink under short wave and orange under long wave. So all these different colors pop on these rocks when you look for them. So you know, wherever you're rock hounding, if you're camping out, it might pay to uh, walk around and look and see if you can spot some UV um, activated minerals that are in the area because this is kind of its own little genre of rock collecting that's very addictive. Kids love it, and um, certainly this would be something you want to add to your collection. And you can check out uh, all these. Uh, all the information on this in great detail if you want to. Um, we have links in our Facebook site um, where you can read more articles and also on our social media if you want to find out more about Uperlites and Eric Rintemacki and that story. Um, fossils. I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, on www.cincinnati.com 
they found over 40 different species of shark fossils in Mammoth Cave. Now this cave, they had seen it before. There were shark teeth around the entrance and stuff like that. By the way, this was written by Sarah uh, Brookbank uh, on the 15th. And she has some pictures here of these bones that they found. Um, spinal uh, traces of the spinal cords and of course the jaws and things like that. There's only the jawbone on, on these sharks. Is Everything else is cartilage, but also teeth. So they knew there was a few teeth around the entrance and stuff like that. But now as they've gotten in there, they are finding that it is loaded with a treasure trove of over 40 different shark species and their relatives. And they've done this all in the last few months. This is one of the most diverse shark faunas ever found in North America. Um, pretty cool. Um, you know, they say this goes back uh, millions and millions of years ago. And at that time, um, uh, you know, these sharks were swimming around and somehow they must have, uh, you know, died in this cave or got trapped in this cave or whatever the case is. And it's just blowing these researchers' minds that they found this incredible discovery with all these different animals. So they found shark teeth, uh, fin spines, and other fossils in this rich um, limestone caverns that are down there. And uh, we'll just have to stay tuned and see what else they find as they're identifying these. I'm sure news is going to come out about these different fishes and uh, sharks that they've discovered. So... Um, stay tuned for that. Now, with all the shark news, it makes you wonder, could an ancient mega shark or a megalodon shark still lurk in the deep seas? On uh, an article at www.popssci.com, there's an article called, Could Ancient Mega Shark Still Lurk in the Deep Seas? And it's written by Riley Black on October 15th. And they have this picture of this huge, ominous-looking creature of a shark. And, of course, there's a white shark floating above his head that's just like he could snap it up if he wanted to, right? So you think about these creatures. You know, um, at one time they were saying that these things could be over 60 feet. Now they feel like it's more like 50 feet. Um, we just did a little bit on the stretching, the shrinking of dinosaurs um, because of limited information and big imaginations um, we've had to readjust uh, to reality that uh, some of these dinosaurs although huge were not quite as huge as we might have previously thought but could you imagine if somewhere at the bottom of the ocean this monster dwelled now if it did you know um, it would probably be much like sharks that we see today and, um, you know, most of these sharks, they feel that this is somewhat related to the great white shark. Um, and great white sharks basically swim around the shores, um, you know, close to shoreline. And they don't go super far. And this is where they hunt and this is where they eat. So the great megalodon um, would likely be one of those creatures and would have likely been discovered. But let's just say, hypothetically, that it lives in the deep. Um, so if it did live in the deep, um, you know, thousands of feet down where we hardly see things and we're discovering new animals. I mean, that's the kind of the, 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 the secret sauce to this whole theory that they could still be alive. You know, we're, we're discovering these fish that we thought were fossils and they are, 
Uh, but most of these fish are not huge creatures. Now, I thought about this and I thought, well, they just discovered, you know, proof that there's 100 foot long um, squids. And they used to always say that when I was a kid, those weren't true. We don't know about it. You know, yeah, there might be some pretty big ones, but not nothing big enough to, you know, like Moby Dick stories or anything. And now we know um, that it's true. Uh, they've photographed several of them. They've washed up on shore. We know that these giant 100 foot squids are in, indefinitely existing and swimming in our oceans. So um, it's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. There's a slight possibility. Um, now, again, sharks are air breathers. So, yeah, here's another point. You know, the fact that they would be down there and we wouldn't see them come up for air, eh, not too unlikely. Somebody probably would have seen one by now. So probably not much of a chance that, uh, you know, they are still down there. Their relatives are alive. Um, you know, the, the earth has changed and uh, maybe not able to support such a giant creature anymore. But uh, certainly the great white shark is uh, a force to be reckoned with. So anyway, I thought that was a fun story. Now I want to get into our keynote address. What inspired me to this was uh, I just bumped into an article on Mindat and I was going through articles. They have articles on there and... Um, I've looked at several and, and they were great, but, uh, you know, they were written a lot, um, from the author's experiences and things like that. And, um, you know, I thought, well, I can't really do research on that unless I get a hold of the author. And I have reached out to some of these authors, but anyway, I found this article on Zoizite and now I can't get into the website for some reason. I had the article up. It was a really great article. Um, I tried to get it up. I don't know what's going on with MindApp, but they're having problems. But when you think of Zoizite, if you're a rock hound, you're usually going to think of that green stone, the ruby Zoizite, with the red dots in it, which is ruby. And this is what most of us who are rock hounds think of when we think of Zoizite. We think of ruby Zoizite, which I believe is called Enolite. Um, it is a rock composed of soyzite, which is green uh, in this case, with red corundum, which is ruby. And sometimes there's black crystals or uh, hornblende uh, and other minerals that uh, give it a really good look. And this can be cut and polished into some really impressive looking cabochons. Um, people are using this to make sculptures and all sorts of other things. Now, maybe... If you've been paying attention to all the Tanzanite articles that uh, and the great Tanzanite discoveries of these huge six and, and nine pound uh, crystals that have been unearthed here in the last few weeks, uh, maybe you are aware that Tanzanite is uh, rare. Blue to purple Tanzanite is zoisite. It's actually a zoisite. Now, zoisite are minerals that will form during a regional metamorphous and hydrothermal alterations of igneous and metamorphic and sedimentary rocks and in these environments they are found in massive form as these prismatic crystals and veins that that cut schist and marbles uh, they're very strong they're found in crystals and pegmatites and form on the margins of igneous bodies so that's how they're kind of made up. Um, there's a chemical form for them. I won't read that out and bore you, but they are very beautiful. Now, these zoisites that are dug up come out of the ground in many different colors. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But something else that is interesting is that zoisite is closely 
um, related to epidote and also um, aluminum has aluminum related to it and in it zoisite and also uh, clindazozite are minerals that usually are found in small quantities um, so this you know this huge these huge gems that are being dug out of uh, Tanzania, Tanzania are it's just an exceptional um, you know area for them to get as big as they are and have this beautiful coloration now zoisite is a mineral that is very diverse like I said it, it's getting so popular right now and tanzanite is going to be limited in supply and like I said strangely it comes out of the ground in many different colors it can come out uh, green and yellow and purple and blue and all these different colors and shades of colors but if it comes from Tanzania when it's heated um, like above I think it's a thousand degrees Celsius or something that changed the oxidized state of the vandium to produce the blue color okay and it says that tanzanite is the second most popular blue stone I just read an article to you guys about that yesterday I was surprised to find out that actually sapphire was the most popular blue stone but I think tanzanite is probably gaining in popularity um, and it might be a close call now, thulite, um, which is usually kind of a pink, it's opaque, um, can be used in cabochons and sculpturing and things like that. Um, it's said to be rare, but I know where some is out in the California desert, um, so it's out there. You can find it, um, but it is a variety of zoisite as well. Uh, big discoveries of this where the best material uh, is said to have been found is Norway, Nambia, Australia, North Carolina, and a few other locations. Now, uh, enolite is a colorful rock composed mostly of zoisite. We just talked about it, and we typically call it ruby zoisite um, because it is a green uh, zoisite with bright red ruby crystals and the black crystals of the horn belt. Um, and again, that can be used for cabochons and things like that and used to be pretty affordable, kind of going up in price. But uh, another mineral that is similar um, to that is called ruby in fuchsite. And that is sometimes misidentified as ruby in zoisite. But it can be tested to be different. It's only a hardness of two or three. Why zoisite is at least a six. And of course, the ruby part would be a nine because corundum is nine. In addition to most of these um, specimens of ruby in fusite, they exhibit a blue kyanite alteration that runs around um, the edges of it um, around the ruby crystals. And that doesn't occur in uh, ruby crystals in zoisite um, in the in, in antolite. Now also, closely part of zoisite, another zoisite mineral, is this clinozoisite, C-L-I-N-O-Z-O-I-S-I-T-E. And this can be um, found in the mountains of Pakistan. And uh, this, they're not huge um, crystals, only maybe three to four centimeters tall on average. Um, they are kind of a rich, warm slightly slightly golden brown um, nice crystals look like they could make some nice faceted stones they're very very desired uh, the ones that are of gem quality and desired by uh, collectors because they are super super rare now zoisite and uh, clinzoite have the same chemical uh, chemical composition um, 
overall, but uh, the crystallization is a little different in the way that they form uh, from one another. And really the only way to tell the difference is with x-ray um, diffraction, and it's the best way to make a positive identification. Some of the um, chemical classifications of zoisite um, is that it's silic silicate, um, the color can be colorless, gray, yellow, brown, pink, blue, a green, and violet. The streak test is white. The luster, of course, is smooth to sugary. Um, it can be translucent to transparent. The cleavage is usually perfect in one direction. It's about 6.5 on the Mohs hardness scale. The specific gravity runs about 3.2 to 3.4. Um, and... Uh, uh, it is usually used as a gemstone, and of course the um, ruby zoisite type is sometimes used for sculptures, and the thulite type of zoisite is sometimes used in sculpture and cabochons too, as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's exciting episode. Please check out all our links and support the channel the best way you can by sharing it with others. It doesn't cost you a penny to do that. Uh, liking, leaving comments, we appreciate that. You're helping us to, you know, educate and get the word out there and keep rock hounding alive for the generations to come. And with that, remember rock hounds don't die, they petrify. <laughs>